Well, hello again, and welcome back to the Cheers to Comics podcast. I'm your host, Brian Wayne. And this is a super special edition of Creator Corner. And this time, I have (laughs) David M. Boer on the line to talk about, well, pretty much everything, but specifically something that really took me by surprise, and that's Kanto. What's up, David? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm excited. I've been waiting for the right moment to ask you to come on. I was specifically waiting for the the in-between five and six thing to maybe see if I could <laughs> find some way to coax some information out of you. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later. You weren't, I wasn't supposed to say that out loud. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that's, that's why we're drinking here, too. You know, they say it's truth juice. So we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what I can get out of you. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to um, be uh, broken down by your interrogation. Well, you know. <laughs> ah. um, well, uh, the the main part or the main purpose of this for any new listeners out there, you know, this is a creator quarter segment. I like to bring in these creators that, you know, they're the responsible for anytime there's a big movie out there and it's based off of a comic book you know it started through a, a writer that put out a comic you know they they wrote the comic book so i don't feel like there's enough recognition for these these content creators the ones that the ideas originated from so especially when it comes to indie books you know get it while it's hot these days because everything right now is just whew, the market wants it all there's <laughs> these indie creators are coming coming out of the woodworks and uh, i'm loving it and you and david zucker have oh drew drew zucker filling it or i'm sorry Dave or drew zucker i'm sorry i'm looking at my my notepad here and read your name yeah drew zucker you guys are killing it right now with canto thank you you know you talk about um you know this all these uh indie books just being snapped up there was that undiscovered country that was announced that it was options I think before the first issue was even out. Yeah. So it's just like a feeding frenzy out there right now. It really is. The the book You Are Obsolete came out a couple weeks ago. And, you know, it was, I mean, I I think it was a a movie deal before it was a comic book. I'm not sure exactly how it went. But the fact that, yes, there was a movie deal that was announced days after the comic book release or days before. It's, it's all the more reason. Yes, you have to. It, it's really validating the fact that comic books are so much more than, you know, D, or Batman and Superman and Iron Man and all of that stuff. These big trillion dollar budget movies and the, that we're so sure. used to seeing. You got little characters yeah. like Kanto just fucking chugging along. <laughs> <laughs> just waiting, just waiting for that opportunity, you know. Um, and I don't have... I've thought a lot about this. The last book I did before this was something with Vault called Alien Bounty Hunter. Yeah, um, I was uh, looking into this. This automatically intrigues me. You're gonna. I'm, I was. This is definitely something I wanted you to touch on. So please yeah. tell me all about this. Um, you know, it's a big sci-fi adventure, kind of in the vein of Guardians of the Galaxy, um, Thor Ragnarok, that sort of thing. Um, but the genesis of it was with Steve Levinson and Mark Wahlberg. And they came to Vault with the idea and they wanted to make it into a comic book first. And so Vault came to me and I co-wrote it with um, the editor-in-chief of Vault, uh, Adrian Wassel. And uh, we had a great time with it. But one of the things that kept coming up was we get trolled a little bit. You know, this is just proof of concept for the film that's coming down the pike and all these things. And we really took it, you know, took it to heart that we wanted to make a comic book. 
we wanted to make the story a comic first for comic fans in the medium, using the medium to tell the best story we could and whatever um, everyone else down the road wanted to do with it in other forms. They were, you know, that's that they were going to do that on their own. So our con we concentrated on making a good comic. And I think it's unfortunate sometimes when you read these comics and they really just feel like storyboards or proof of concept for something else. And I totally get, look, I understand the economics of comics. I'm literally in the midst of it right now. And nobody's getting rich off of single issue floppies, except for maybe, you know, Robert Kirkman or right. you know, exactly. somebody. But even even his, you know, resounding success was fed a huge amount by the TV show, Walking Dead. So it's not like he existed, you know, he just become this became this juggernaut in comics for comics. Right. Oblivion Song isn't getting picked up if it's not for Walking Dead. I mean, I think we can we can all agree with because it just got optioned for that's his other book. They're right. Just, it just got optioned. I, I think anyone out there, I mean, can truthfully say that if it wasn't for the success of The Walking Dead, Oblivion Song's not getting picked up. Because that's it's yeah. I would imagine it's gonna be a huge budget to pull this off. So huge budget. And you know, with his name behind it, I think they have a shot with it, but um, I guess that's that's all to say that I we we're not you know sometimes we develop these projects in the hope that they do go to TV or film and we really have the opportunity to make some real money off of it and maybe trans you know um, move from like day jobs into writing full time that sort of thing. So I don't begrudge anybody for wanting to do that. Um, with that said, Drew and I, with Kanto, really, really set out to make a comic book. And, and that's think- that's something that I really, really, truly appreciate. Because when reading this, I don't... Not, when I go into an indie now, I actually go into it thinking, okay, how much are they trying... How desperate are these people to try to get a movie deal out of this? And like I said, there's no judgment, just like you said, about not or doing that. Not once did I feel like you guys were trying to get a movie deal out of this. If anything, I feel like a, a video game developer needs to pick this shit up because... <laughs> hey, look, video dope. games, <laughs> films, TV, all of it. I think it would be amazing to see Kanto in all sorts of different ways, you know? Um, but we really, really did set out, Drew and I, to make a great comic, a great adventure story about this little tin hero. And so it's been so much fun for me. I am i don't have a lot of experience writing comics, but it's really given me the chance, Kanto has given me the chance to flex those muscles to think about what it means to turn the page and what you want the reader to feel when you they see the last panel, you know, on a page and they turn it and what do they see next? And, you know, taking them on, taking readers on that emotional sort of journey through using the actual physical medium of the comic book to uh, make the story the best that it can be. And Drew and I have had just a ton of fun doing that, you know, for all these issues so far. Well, you could really, really sense, and this is coming at, coming from a reader, that you guys really do have a lot of fun with this. And you do, there is a lot of soul that goes into this. And yes, the emotions there, it's very, very fun. Like the Malarex, I can't not look at the Malarex without giggling. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's great. Because, you know, we designed it. This this creature is supposed to be this terrifying creature. And you have this one that's older and it's sort of been around the block. 
and knows the world and has this personality that it's he he's like a really smart dog right, right. so you look at you look at your dog and you can see that he's looking back at you and as soon as you turn your back he's going to go get the treat and he's manipulating and he's thinking and he knows and he's solve, solving problems and that's the way i wanted this malarx to be which he doesn't you know he doesn't speak he just has like that guttural sound that he makes and sometimes he growls or roars but uh, the reality is everything that he um is as a character is defined by how kanto reacts to him yes and so you know there's this one moment in i want to say it's issue four at the beginning when kanto says they're about to go into you know this dangerous city at the gates and they've got to meet the guardians there and there's this nine panel page that i just i love it so much and i was so anxious about it not working but it's nine panels and it goes back from it's like the camera flipping from one panel one point of view to the other so it's Kanto and then it's the Malorex and Kanto is trying to get him to stay because he says it's going to be dangerous, which is ridiculous in itself because you have this tiny little tin guy who's telling this giant mus- you know, muscle-bound creature to stay <laughs> because it's going to be dangerous. Um, but it's this nine-panel page where you keep flipping back and forth and Kanto's like, sit, stay. And each time you see the Malorex, it's just the same stupid look on his face. And then you turn the page and it's, Kanto walking with the Mallorx and Kanto says something like, look, I want you to know, I und- I think you understand me just fine. Mm-hmm. And the Mallorx makes his trademark sound in response to it. And it's like, well, yeah, he does. He's just being stubborn because he doesn't want to let his little buddy out there and into the danger on his own. So it's been a, that's been just a riot between me and Drew to try to, figure out this Malorex's personality as defined by how Kanto interacts with him. Well, that's that's definitely something that I want to talk about here real soon is the, the collaboration and the connection between you and Drew, because you two obviously understand each other very, very well. But before I get to that, I, I get to that, I kind of want to go back just a little bit to where where it all began with you. Um, I, I w- Pretty much at the very beginning. Let's. <laughs> well, when, <laughs> well, when was it that you realized that you you wanted to get into comics? When did you discover comics? Was it something that you've always wanted to do as a kid, or was it just writing? Or let, let's yeah, let's let's start there. Um, so uh, I came to comics a little later in life, probably about twelve years ago now. Okay. Um, and my first introduction to comics. Um, so, so I'll go back when I was a kid, the, um, my family didn't really read comics or, you know, it wasn't really part of my sort of universe. Um, but I read Mad Magazine and I had a, uh, subscription to Mad Magazine and that's definitely cartoons, that's comics. Uh, so that was my, that was my experience growing up and, and, you know, the Sunday funniest page, I would read that and, and I, I remember specifically that I never, um, I always read the funny ones, so I never really read any of the, uh, I, can't, I can't remember now, but it was like the Tarzan ones or, um, you know, Dick Tracy or anything where it was sort of dramatic, serialized. 
I always gotcha. thought the, the I peanuts would, and the Garfields and the, the family, family circus, yes, and yes. Far Side and that sort of thing. So it never, it sort of was foreign to me that comics could tell sort of those dramatic stories. And so you cut to about 12 years ago. Um, I started writing and I wrote, um, I wrote pro, like fiction first. Nothing ever got published and it was all pretty terrible. Um, and then I started going to uh, screenwriting and TV writing. I actually went to UCLA for a screenwriting. They have a program over there. All right. um, and then I started going to San Diego Comic-Con, believe it or not, as a pop culture nut, not necessarily a comics nut. And um, the first comic that I ever picked up and read, which changed my entire point of view about comics and storytelling, was Lock and Key. Huh by Joe Hill and um, Gabe Rodriguez. Right on. Um, which is just a, to me, it's just a masterpiece. And I like to say that, um, I like to tell people, it not only showed me that you can um, tell a story like that in, you know, in a comic form, but that you can tell that story, that particular story in comic form. And so it kind of opens it's, it changed my entire point of view about how you how you tell stories. And so I had an idea and I pitched it and I did a first book I ever had was also with Vault and Vault sort of Vault Comics sort of gave me way back five years ago now, gave me my first shot at uh, uh, storytelling in comics, which I really, you know, to this day, I still appreciate it. And that was powerless, correct? That was powerless. I had that idea and I pitched it to them in an email, a couple sentences. This was before they were vaults. They were still, they were kind of a more um, artistic graphic novel um, imprint. And they were kind of in the background. I think they were thinking about launching vaults with single issues and, and focusing on fantasy and sci-fi. And I came in at the right, right place at the right time. Um, and so that's, how I got into comics, I've, I've read a bunch, you know, tons of comics since then, um, really tried to absorb the way that these different creators are telling stories. And what creators are you absorbing uh, to, to start out? Who, who do I mean, obviously, you're Joe Hill. But who else? Yeah, uh, so there's a scene. So I, you know, in the in the first um issue i want to say of lock and key it was kind of a tom king i like to say it called the tom king sort of storytelling it was a, <laughs> i just like a, how he's got a whole style to his name now i know exactly what you're talking about of course yeah yeah and and i i think in lock and key was this moment where um it's it's um one of the characters is sitting outside of the funeral and just sitting on a, a bench and it's a stack of these horizontal panels and it's the same, the camera doesn't move, but there's this slight variation of movement of the character and people walking by and then see him sort of, I think he just puts his head down in his hand. You can feel the grief that's happening on the page, but that static camera angle to tell this very subtle but very powerful moment in the story, that stuck with me and I think Tom King does that um, very well in sort of everything that he does. Well, he I just... could totally sense that influence. And it's not necessarily that you're doing the, the, the static, you know, um, non-movement panels between, but the silent panels that are depicting just the, the pure emotion without any dialogue or any 
need for any even sound effects for that matter i i, yeah. I well, reading canto I, I i feel that same type of thing like it's the same but different type of situation it's, it's something that i learned too along the way is um letting letting the story breathe giving it time and you know sometimes it's funny to read some reviews and things that they're like the pace slowed down a little bit in this issue and i just think it's because we we're so we're so trained to have the pace be so breakneck all the time. And when you slow down and take, you know, give give Drew three pages instead of one page to tell this moment that's important, um, that that's something I really try to do. So in issue one, if you hold the physical comic, there is a page turn where it's a full page spread and Kanto's holding um, uh, the tin girl who's been injured and the slaves, their line is if she can no longer work, the furnace is awake. And then the next page is just, just the, just the black page. And it's just dialogue between Canto and the girl. And then you turn the page again and it's a silent page. That's just Canto sort of pulling the blanket over her to make sure she's comfortable as she's laying there. And you know that, you know, her time is running out and that sort of thing. And we specifically broke out the dialogue from the, visuals because and put it against this full page spread so you look at it and you've got the so the dialogue it sort of emphasizes the, the the art just on the page before and then you turn the page and separating the dialogue from the from the art means that you take the time to read the dialogue and then you take the time to absorb the art where sometimes we skip over artwork for the words um so there was a very specific way we wanted to tell that that moment in the story to give it the gravity that it needed to have at at that point. Gotcha. Well, I mean, <laughs> geez, you guys are methodical as hell on this. And it's it's something that it's not, I mean, just, I mean, I may be a little bit more than a casual reader, to be fair. But it's, <laughs> I can imagine even the casual reader out there is to appreciate it. I mean, let's, well, let's it's designed, you know, it's designed for the casual reader to. And really, uh, though, and not just the casual reader, uh, the absolute beginner of a reader. This is a total thing where if a family wanted to jump in and say, hey, let's, you know, let's find something that we could all read together. This, even though, yes, there's. there's sword swinging and stuff like that, it's not hyper violent by any means. So it's. It, this is a no, it's, for everybody. It really it, is. Yeah, so we definitely we definitely designed it to be in all ages, and I feel like uh, I did some research on it, and nobody really understands has a set definition of all ages. Um, there's some disqualifiers, swearing, gr really graphic violence, um, mature sexual themes, and, and sexual imagery, that sort of thing. That sort of disqualifies you from the all ages category. But beyond that, we. I, <laughs> I, Drew and I both grew up with um, Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, Neverending Story, um, right. Oz, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Ghostbusters, right. all these things that have scary images and really change, you change your, how, how you um, interpret them as you get older. And that's a lot of the feedback we've been getting for Canto is that, you know, kids are reading it and they're really loving it and parents are reading it and they're loving it too. They're getting something, they're getting something totally different. They're getting the underlying, you know, themes of like captivity and slavery and, um, you know, oppression and, 
that that kind of more adult aspect to it. And the kids are getting. We had a friend, a very wonderful creator, Philip C.V., um, who's got his own book out from Dark Horse called Triage, which you should go out and get because it's great. Um, but he has his son, Gavin, I want to say is, I want to say it's, he's nine, maybe a little bit younger than that. And he drew a true canto and he gave him his own little dialogue bubble, bubble and it says, I'm canto, I'm brave. So... Mm-hmm. That's what he's getting out of the story is that Kanto is brave and he's going on an adventure, which when he gets to be 15 and he reads it, he's going to get a different, you know, uh, perspective on the story, which yes. is something which we really try to do to make it appeal to the widest possible audience. Uh, well, you're, you're, you're nailing it. You, you really are. You oh, really thanks. are. So I, I, I love that the fact, you know, you're inspired by horror comics and then you've got this family, this family book, but it's, it just goes to show it's not necessarily the genre. You know, you, you could pull something from something that's so different and create something. Ah, oh, it's incredible. It really is. This, these are why I love these interviews because it goes to show. I mean, there's a lot of aspiring creators out there that don't know when to start or they may be intimidated. So these are the types of stories that I love to get. This is, oh, this is so inspiring. I'm sure for many, many, many people out there. Oh, so, thank uh, you very much. I think it's all about just finding, um, it's finding story. If you're a creator, if you're a writer out there, just find the, find the books that you have an emotional connection to. Um, you know, I read a lot of comics and I don't often feel that visceral connection to it, that it stays with me. But the ones that do are the ones, I, whatever genre, whether it's horror or it's sci-fi or it's you know nonfiction, um, you know memoir. The one of my favorite, probably my favorite comic for from last, I think it came out last year, was this book from um, uh, Fantagraphics called "My Favorite Thing Is Monsters." Okay. Have you ever heard of this? I, I've heard of it. I've heard of it. I haven't gotten my hands on it, though. A complete masterpiece from start to finish. And it's and it's just because it feels different, and I felt and I cared for the characters. And, you know, it's different. It's, it's different from Kanto, but I just read it, and I take... I watch how the story has, is being told, and I take what I can from that to sort of make me a better creator, a better writer from that. Oh, that's awesome, though. That's all. That's definitely something that I'm gonna check. Anything that has inspired Canto, <laughs> something that I want to check out because I, I'm really not just saying this because you're on the podcast. I wouldn't be as excited to have you on the podcast if I wasn't excited for the book. This is something that I went in. I, I truthfully went in thinking, okay, I'm gonna pick up issue number one, see what something like this is about because the. To be honest, the the character design for the little guy I was like, oh, that motherfucker's cute as shit. <laughs> I, mean, I know, right? <laughs> But well, I can tell you, it was, yeah. the whole thing was just incredible, and I was hooked from the beginning. And then, I, especially knowing it was just going to go six issues, hopefully just to start, we'll talk. I'm gonna, you know, wait for you to drink a little bit more before we. Uh... <laughs> no, I can actually divulge because it was um, announced at New York Comic Con. Oh well, that was one of my talking points. Is I specifically stayed away from the New York Comic Con news until this interview. So now. I'm going to actually get to talk about all this stuff because I knew that you had an announcement to make and I wanted to actually hear it for the first time, you telling me. So please tell me the good news about New York Comic Con and Kanto. Well, Kanto 
His adventure continues in 2020. Oh, man. Like, yeah. So are we going to get an issue seven or are we going to just say, okay, one through six is uh, a standalone. Now here's the ongoing. Well, when you read issue six, so we're doing this between five and six, right? right. So issue six um, ends, I, I don't want to say ends, but sort of wraps up this current adventure. And there is a big question that is left open and it's openly discussed in issue six. And so what we're doing in 2020, in I'll, I'll tell you the trade for the first six issues comes out in March of next year. So March 2020, look for the trade. If you haven't gotten on board yet, you can, um, you can pick up the trade uh, starting in March. And then in May, um, there's going to be a one-shot, a one-off adventure that's a, basically a single issue um, that's called Canto and the Clockwork Fairies. Oh, shit. And it, and it takes place between the end of issue six and the, uh, the end of this arc and the beginning of next arc. And it's a standalone. It's a one-off standalone. You don't need to know much, if anything, about what happened in the previous arc to just enjoy this little s side quest, this little adventure that Canto goes on with his Malarex. Um, and then in July, there's a five, we're doing a five issue second arc that's going to pick up, I don't want to divulge too many details, but it's going to pick up where um, after issue six, um, after this story arc ended, and going to tell the next story arc in this world. So it's going to be, um, we haven't made um, firm decisions, but I think we're leaning toward starting it um, at a, at a issue one. So being like a Canto two or, or a sequel or a second season and starting at issue one. Ah, uh, gotcha. Yeah. See, I, I enjoy that. And I think that's great for new readers, too. You know, a lot, a lot of people, there's a lot of people out there that bitch, you know, why do they, you know, fucking reboot it and all this shit. It doesn't have to be looked as looked at as a reboot or anything like that so much as a new volume. I, I don't well, see why you people know what? complain about that. Yeah, and, you know, from the peek behind the curtain a little bit, from a creator perspective, it's far easier to launch a number one of a second arc than it is to launch an issue seven. Because right. just like you said, readers are scared away by issue seven if they haven't read one through six. Right, but, and when a book's gone into third printing, that obviously means it's hard to fucking track down because people want it, and when people want it, it's hard to get. And yeah. <laughs> so when, when something's hard to get, it makes you maybe necessarily want to skip it so yes no i i, I am 100 percent behind this this whole notion of you know after so many issues reboot it doesn't even necessarily need to be a new creative team god please don't get rid of drew zucker <laughs> oh no 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 we've, we've co-created that's that's one of the beautiful things about canto it's the first book that i've done where um drew and i are full uh co-creators on it and um it was going to rise on rise and fall on my words and his art. There was no there was no option to go a different direction with art. Um, it was this was this is our book, and it wouldn't. And if publishers weren't going to pick it up, we were going to do it ourselves. It was just we we felt so strongly and so good about what we were doing that this was going to be this will be our book for as long as. Uh, Canto is still being, you know, st we're telling, we're still telling stories in Canto's world. It's going to be our, our baby.
I, I love it. I, and it's, you know, IDW, they're, they're not necessarily known for having uh, creator-owned works. They're usually licensing out their other stuff. So what, what, what's it like being one of the, the few titles out there that's not a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or fucking G.I. Joe or Transformers? <laughs> you know? We are Care Bears. Exactly. Um, exactly. What's it like being at the IDW label? I mean, what are those meetings like? It's it's been great. I mean, they've given us um, so much opportunity to tell the story that we really want to tell, um, and and the support that they've given us has been fantastic. And just having the IDW name that's such a huge thing. If you're if cr this is for creators, IDW Dark Horse Image in particular, um, Boom. Those um, shops trust those labels, so they're willing to take a chance on you. And so to have to be able to put IDW's name behind Kanto, it, it was a one part of the perfect storm that we had very little to do with um, to make Kanto successful. So we had, you know, we had IDW. They actually had had. It's been 2019 has been a big year for IDW and creator owned titles and they Seriously. i think they really last year made a concerted effort to find titles that they thought would be successful to really make this push into the creator-owned world and they had um one book called ghost tree that went into multiple printings road of bones that went into multiple printings oh that's right then, that was I shit. yeah and the road of bones is fantastic rich duick is the creator on that notes so canto came after those books so I was starting to see early part of this year that there was some buzz out there about IDW's creator-owned books. So there was already like this existing narrative that was starting to take place that they're putting out some good creator-owned stuff. And mm -hmm. then Canto comes out and Pete readers responded to that first issue. Sold out so it just, fucking immediately. <laughs> Well, I mean, that was insane. Uh, we, <laughs> nobody, nobody knew that that was going to happen. Three nobody. printings now? Three printings? Yeah, dude. It, I, it, two weeks before it hit shelves, it sold out of its first printing. So I don't know if... I mean, the word must have started to get around. We had we hired a publicist and um, to come in and help us lay the groundwork starting in March when it was solicited. So by the time it came out in June it would, you know, word would spread. And even even with that, there was some sort of lightning in a bottle. I don't know. I, I, I still think back and try to recreate it, and it's impossible. So, I, I heard about it two days. I heard about it on the Monday beforehand, and I thought, you know what? Just looking at this cover, I just the character design alone, I figured would be enough to spark interest. Because, you know, something like Kanto, I mean, just the name, you think, well, that sounds like it's the name of this new thing I haven't heard of. But you would like to think, well, this new thing you haven't heard of better at least fucking look amazing. And <laughs> I'll be damned. <laughs> it fucking looks amazing. So I saw it, and I, I started hearing a little bit of hype, and I thought, you know what? I wanna, I'm gonna see what this is about. I went to uh, my my local comic book store. Just happens to be the world's largest comic book store at Mile High. Is that Mile High? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I went up there and I, I grabbed the I, I grabbed the book and they 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 had a few. And did you get the first printing? I did. I oh, did. Okay. So I st yeah I stopped in um in the morning. I still didn't know what was going on, and I stopped in the morning in a shop called Quest, which is in downtown Los Angeles where I live. 
And they had a whole stack and they pulled them off the shelf and I'm like, yeah, go ahead and sign them. So I signed them and I put it back on the shelf. And I specifically remember thinking, oh man, that's a lot of copies. I hope they sell them. Gosh, what's going to happen? <laughs> and so, then I did a signing that Wednesday night at Collector's Paradise, which is in Pasadena, which is close to my house. And I came in, again, we had to pull the copies off the shelf because people were buying four or five and six at once. And they marked up the retailer incentive to like 50 bucks. And it was just <laughs> from the, the 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. just to watch the, I mean, I didn't sleep for three days. And it was just, it was wild. It was crazy. Well, anyone with a half a brain that read this comic knew that once you got your one copy that you need, if you were a speculator of any sort, you needed to go get more because you knew this was going to be big. And whether it got picked up for TV or whatever, it was going to be a hot comic. And I'll be damned if Mile High Comics, their every single issue is sold out. I think they have one copy of the third printing of issue one. Other than that, one <laughs> fiber sold out. I mean, I mean, that's, see, that's, and that's what, it makes me so happy. So thank you to everyone who's listening, who's picked up a copy, because, you know, the, 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 normally it's from issue one to two, it's like 40 to 50% drop off. So lots of people talk, you know, try issue one and then you get half or maybe more to keep going with issue two. And then you get another 20% drop off to three. Um, it's just been mind boggling for me and Drew to see we're in issue five. Ish, you know, doing a six issue arc for something that nobody's ever even heard of is really risky because by issue six, you could be down, you know, you could be at the bottom of the barrel in the bargain bin. But to see that readers are still coming back, still going to the shop, still buying the copies, it's just been uh, it's a, such an incredible thing for Drew and I to, to watch because we've told this story as these six issues. And it's, I, it, makes me feel, it makes me feel so good to know that readers are going to stick around to see what happens in issue six because we think that it's really, uh, you know, we, we think... I don't want to sound shitty about it, but I, I think I really think we stuck the landing in issue six, and you guys can all be the judges of that. Um, but I think oh, we, we got will to... be. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> thank you, internet, social media. Um, I really think we wrap the story up in a way that's going to be um, satisfying, and it's going to feel like it, it's the way it should be wrapped up. Well, to be perfectly honest, even if you wrapped it up with the way issue five is, which I just fucking read, like, I don't know, half an hour before I got on the horn with you. Cause like, like I told you before in the, the pre-conversation, I wanted to have this book as fresh in my head as possible. And I just I remember reading it at the end and just, I had, uh, fuck, <laughs> Jesus, man. I have no spoilers, right? I would <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I'm usually not, yeah, I don't want to spoil this one just because I haven't given a disclosure or anything like that, but, dude, that's, uh... There's a cliffhanger. For sure, for sure, and uh, to be honest, just uh, even after one, uh, usually the journey between, you know, on a six-issue arc between, you know, two through five... A lot of times, it's just set up to be filler. It, uh, you know, a lot of creators think, well, I got the beginning to catch them, and I just need the end. No, no, no. <laughs> Every single issue continues to make you more and more intrigued as to how the end's going to go. Because you don't expect 
this this wonderful world of creatures and uh, just lore and all of this stuff that you're laying down. I'm telling you, I sense a video game out of this. I do. No, I hope. I, I feel like a Spyro fucking engine, and like that. That's that's really how I picture this, man. It's oh, it's, it's almost like a Kingdom Hearts type of feel to it, is what I right. Get. We but, just got that reference. Um... In one of the reviews for Five, somebody mentioned Kingdom Hearts, and I'm not super familiar with it, but um, apparently it's some part of it is about hearts and somebody putting hearts in their chest. And so I think it's um, interesting. Uh, we'll see. You know, if Disney's listening, maybe Kanto's part of Kingdom Hearts. Who oh, knows? dude. <laughs> Get that Disney money, man. It's shit. Not just, I mean, it's not just money, Brian. It's Disney. <laughs> That's why I like to teach people. I'm like, it's not just money. It's comics money, which yeah. is like tens of dollars, people. It's tens of dollars. Tens of dollars. Some, sometimes hundreds if you're lucky. If you're, oh you got to be one of the lucky ones. Point, the top 0.1%. Here's, yeah. your, here's your hundreds of dollars. And that's one thing I really don't think a lot of readers really, really um, recognize is the fact that to be a comic creator, you really have to go into this knowing that for one, you're going to struggle your fucking ass off. Yeah. You, you are. And that's, that's definitely something I want to touch on with you a little bit more. The, the struggles and the beginnings and all of that stuff. But I mean, there, there is, there's very rarely any money in this, you know, a lot of times, a lot of, you know, us as creators, we, we, we celebrate people like you to in my eyes you know you and the 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 kirkmans and all of those you guys are celebrities to us you guys are the creators of stuff that i firmly fucking enjoy and oh, you gosh, know thank you many, well yeah um but you guys are like i said celebrated and you know comic nerds eyes like myself but it's you're you're not like brad pitt where you know you're just cool you know you do the thing and now you just fucking kick it and I mean, the, you, you got to have a hustle. It's a hustle. It is. It's a constant hustle. And for every, every you know, book that's like the once in future and, you know, uh -huh. I love Wicked that. and Divine and, you know, Walking Dead, there's, you know, a hundred behind it that don't, that don't, that, that are great books, but for some reason don't get that spark. And um, you, you just, you just got to keep doing it. That's the thing. You just keep doing it and find stories that you love and you really want to tell and you just feel like, um, I mean, I'll tell you the origin story of Kinto is um, I knew Drew from social media and I thought, and I really admired his art and he had done a couple of books um, and I just really liked it. So I reached out to him because I was going to do a short for an anthology a couple of years ago and I wanted him to be the artist on it. Well, he was not available at the time. So I said, okay, well, if you ever become available, I'd love to work on something with you. And he, in a couple months later, I think it was, he became available and he sent me a, a preliminary character sketch of what, the character that would become Kanto. And he said, hey, I've been working on this little, um, this character and sort of a, a, you know, story, a broad story outline of what I wanted to tell. Was it, it was a lot darker and it was much more skewed, much more adult, leaned much more into Dante's Inferno. Um, and, but as soon as I saw the character design, it was like a half a second that I, that it took me and I thought, 
well, I'm telling this character's story, and I don't know what it is yet, and I don't know who this character is, but we're 100% telling this story. And ever since he gave me that, he sent me that original concept art, I just remember feeling so strongly that this was going to be something that I wanted to do, that uh, it, it's been such a pleasure to work with Drew. And we, we, I came back to him with sort of my take on the story, which mixed in you know, Wizard of Oz with some of the Dante Inferno elements and came up with the idea about the world and how their hearts are replaced with clocks and what happens to get him on his journey. Um, and Drew was down for all of that. And I, we pushed much more all ages. And as soon as we nailed down the character design and started getting artwork back, I just thought, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with this book. I don't know where it's going to go, but I feel so strongly about it that we're going to do it no matter what. Uh, well, so we just pushed the board. We just did it. We just did it. Well, we're, we're all glad you did <laughs> because, you know, I, I want to see, I, I would love to see this original concept art and how it differs from what we have now. Uh, are, are we ever going to see Kanto without a helmet? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> um, uh, the answer is uh, unlikely. Okay, cool. Well, um, I like that. I, I like that very much. Uh, it leaves a... A lot to the imagination, that's for sure. I, I, I you I, know, I'm it's. I think so, with this race. I would like. I would like people to continue questioning. You know who they are and what. Um, what they are, where they came from, their origins, and you know, there is people have asked that question, and I think. Canto is Canto, I love and it. to want to see what's under the helmets. Um. I mean, maybe that, maybe what you see is who he is. Gotcha. Okay. No, I'm. Uh, I think that's a perfectly acceptable answer. That's. I love it. I. Oh man. I, regardless of helmet off, helmet on. This this character, it, it it has me. It really does. And like I say, I'm not saying that. This because just the the fucking heart. You could sense it. You know, it's one thing to just say, I want a character. I want to design a character that you know has something to stand for and all of this stuff and. You know, go through all of these things, but you could tell this character. You you believe it. You you believe him. You believe the ah oh, the his passion that you said. Sort of his is, his naive courage when he goes out into the world. Yes, yes, uh, absolutely. Just, he's just ready to face anything, no matter what is out there, and he doesn't know what's out there. But it's almost like it doesn't matter because whatever it is, he's gonna deal with it and be scared and be, um, you know, try to be as brave as he can. But if he does, you know, he just, he has to go and do this. I, I love it, man. I, I really do. <laughs> Thanks. So, well, it's not just Kanto that's dope, though. All of the character designs that we've seen throughout this have been fucking amazing. All of them. Everything from the creatures. How, how about, wow, what do they call the three? Ah, oh, shit. The, the, the Furies. The Furies. Oh, my God, dude. Those weapons, that weaponry. So, holy yes. shit. Yes. So, okay, the, the yeah. whip and the... See, so my, my favorite panel, besides the end, or that holy fuck moment at the end, my favorite panel in this book, or sequence of panels, is when the Furies are fighting them. And it's just... It's, it's this little fucker's ability to just duck and roll out of the way. 
yes, there's violence happening, but you're not focusing so much on the violence, violent attacks as you are as the evasive maneuvers, which in turn makes us, uh, I believe this to be all the more reason for this to be considered a family book. Uh, I, at least in my brain, more focused on the evasive maneuvers than it was the actual violent swings that were going well, down sure. as well. But oh, sure, and you the, look at the, the action sequences and panels and designs of all of these characters throughout all of this. Holy fuck, dude! That's just Drew. That's just Drew doing his magic. You know, I I sent him. I would like this double page spread to look like this, and you know, I fall into a little bit of the Marvel style of scripting um, because I know I am to just make it amazing. Um, but you know what? That's the thing about you have to. We took a very realistic perspective about Kanto. He's tiny and he's uh, wily and he's brave and he can fight. You know, he just was trained just before this moment to 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 be a better fighter. But the reality is, he just physically is not is no match for these horrible furies. So what does he use? He uses his size to his advantage, and if that means being evasive and crawling around and just you know being a, 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 a small target for them, then that's what he does. And that's one of the things we're going to explore in the second arc. I don't want to give away any spoilers, but Kanto in relationship to those um, who are, su are surrounding him, he's, they're going to be, I don't, I'm trying to figure out how to say this without spoiling it, but they're going to use their um, size as okay. a distinct advantage. We'll just put it that way. All In right, a way no, that you may not expect. May not expect. I'll take it. I'll take because I mean, yeah, I don't want anything spoiled for me either. Let's face it. I'm hundred percent into this story, and I love enjoying it on the the basis that it's coming out. And it, I mean, it feels like it's coming out quickly. What, about every three weeks or so, it feels like the releases. Um, you know, I think it, it it fluctuates slightly, but you know, once a month. So there's a there's an issue out every month. It just I think sometimes it was three weeks in between, sometimes four weeks. This issue six, it turns out it's going to be five weeks because issue five came out a little bit early or uh, early October. So it was October second. So issue six comes out in November thirteenth. Okay, all right. Well, you well, know, I mean, we, time flies when you're having we, fun. So that probably that's probably why it feels like it's ending way too quickly. Because I, I, I really do feel like issue one was just. A couple weeks ago <laughs> i know i'm anxious to have it all out there honestly um yeah and, and you know we made it a goal to make sure that it was um on time so we got every everything we needed to get in we got it on time and idw has been fantastic getting its shops on time um because really our priority is readers and it's shop owners because the shop owners are the ones who um you know decide what comics to put on the shelves and one of the most gratifying things so far with Kanto has been hearing from the shop owners saying, I put it on the shelf and it sells. And all I want is a blank space where Kanto should be so that they can put some other book up there because it's all sold out for them. That's that's all I want for them. Well, 100 percent. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, well, there is one thing I kind of got to <laughs> pick at just a little bit. Despite the fact, yes, this issue one sold out quick and fast. And that was despite the fact that it was impossible to find a clean cover of this book. And by clean, I mean one that wasn't crumpled by printers. And I know I kind of, <laughs> I, 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 I know. mentioned that on Twitter. No, 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 I by know. no means that has it, but that, that just goes to show. You know, a lot of times when a new book comes out like that and it's not 
aesthetically pleasing and it still fucking sells out, that means, I mean, that's good. <laughs> Come on. I guess man. that's really good. I haven't thought about that. That's a really good point. And, yeah. um, you know, it's the perfect storm. So, you know, there's 9.8s from CGC. There's not too many of them out there. No. Few have no, been able even, to press. Even press on issue those two. Crease. So, yeah. But, but yeah, yeah, it's... it's uh, it just those those problems have been... Um, Rectified, by the way. So oh, I see that. I'm looking at. I'm holding my 9.8 right now of issue five. <laughs> oh, I would imagine the, the 9.8. water spots. Except for the water spots from the tears, Brian, from the tears. That's that's true, but the, you know you don't see that on the cover. That's at the end. That's, I mean, no, it's not. There's nothing <laughs> to cry about. <laughs> no, 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 perfectly uh, fine. <laughs> Oh shit! Uh, I'm loving this. Uh, so I said that we were going to touch on it just a little bit, but the struggles. I mean, you're you're a new comic creator. You've had a couple of things out there through Vault, and they they took chances on you. So you're you're coming into like I say IDW, where you've got your GI Joe and your Transformers and your fucking Ninja Turtles, and you bring your Canto. Um. Well, what? I mean, what? What were the struggles? I mean, were you one of the lucky ones that say, hey, you know, we fucking just made it and we got lucky? Or what was their hate out there? And I don't mean to, you know, pry by any means. This is more for, like I say, for the aspiring creators out there to know what, what they have uh, ahead of them. Because it's it's not well, easy by any means. Yeah. Um, I mean, everything apps since Canto has come out has been fantastic. But there's, um, you know, I, I've spent... I've, I've been going to San Diego Comic-Con for, I think, 13 years or 12 years now. And just meeting people, um, networking, not asking for anything right out of the gate. I think that's what a lot of creators make the mistake of. And I spent years building a foundation that I then relied on when I was ready, to, when we were ready to take Canto out. And so, um, so you're saying this is years in the pipe. I mean, years in the works. Well, years not. I mean, Kanto itself has been, you know, two, two, two and a half years in the works. But okay. for a decade, I have put. I I have been out there as a person and as a creator, meeting other people and building the network, so that when a book came along like Kanto, and I was ready to set it up, I had a list of four or five or six editors that I knew that I never asked anything from, but I just have been fans of what they've edited and the books they've put out, you know, like Skybound and Image and Dark Horse and Boom and, and IDW, just so they knew who I was. And, try, you know, I give this advice to new creators all the time. It's be the type of person that other people want to spend time with, want to hang out with, want to help down the road. And you can't do that when the first thing or the second thing or the third thing you ask from an editor you've just met is, hey, will you take a look at my book? Thank you. Yes. It's, yes. Because I, I've been a part of projects that have failed because I had partners that did not abide by those laws. And now I'm a podcaster instead of a comic book creator. Oh, <laughs> man. No, no, no I'm, not, I'm not mad at it. Believe me. I'd much rather hear from the super successful and have these conversations like this than it is for me to fucking be some diddly little, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I see that. I see that all the time. And it's, and it's, it's really unfortunate. But it's, I, I understand from a creator's perspective, they just want to get their foot in the door. But the everybody who's in this industry wants to help people that they've, 
um, feel like are their friends or that, you know, deserve the shot. And the creator they've just met who asked them for something is not their, is not their friend. It's not somebody that they want to see, you know, be successful. Um, and, you know, with that said, I always tell the story. I have a good friend, um, Ben Bishop, who actually did the in- a retailer incentive cover for Canto issue five. Ben Bishop, your good friend, Ben Bishop, just name dropping. I've got his artwork behind me signed. Do you really? Oh, yeah. No, He's I the love Ben. He's a great person. He really and is. The way we met is, again, just being somebody other people want to spend time with. I did my first ever table at a Comic-Con two years ago at Baltimore, and I came in there and I set up, and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And right across from me, with this gorgeous banner with great art and all these beautiful books and prints and everything, is this dude in a beard and a baseball cap. And within five minutes of me getting there, he comes over, he's like, hey, hey, I'm Ben. I got the table right across from you. And I was like, oh, hey, Ben. I didn't know who he was. Oh, hey, Ben, how are you doing? And he's like, he opened a... This is so funny. He opened his cooler. I've drawn Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I didn't know anything. And I was such a noob right then. And he opened his little bag that he brought. And he said, by the way, if you want a beer during the show, I have them right here. My and man. I was like, dude, we are, we are literally best friends within five minutes. Um, you know, and we just hit it off. And so I, when Kanto came along, I sent it to him. I was like, the pitch to him. And I was like, what do you think of this? Do you think it's cool? I really love it. I want some outside opinions. What do you think? And he really responded to it. He and I said, Oh, well, I'm thinking about taking to these places. And one place was IDW. And um, you know, he knows he knows some of the folks over there. And he, he said, Why well, people? <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's two years ago. Right. So, um, you know, but he was he liked the material and I, I like to think he liked me as a person. So he said, talk to this person. And I was somebody over at IDW and I sent it over there and, you know, it was a good response. And then, you know, I talk about this decades worth of networking and just being, you know, a cool person to hang out with and that sort of thing. And the response I get back was, oh, this is cool. Let me send it to the IDW selection committee. And I'm like, oh no, this is going to be like, the Jedi Council is going to look at this and decide what, <laughs> yeah, you're not. Uh, oh, I'm in. You know, I got IDW. You know, somebody at IDW, I'm in. And Turns no, out you had the, all the midi chlorines you needed, man. You're good to go. No, no, <laughs> they've sent it the same channels that everybody else goes through. And I was like, oh, okay. And somehow it ended up intact on the other side. So I think we just got really lucky with you know, Drew's amazing artwork and a story that people on the committee, you know, must have responded to. So, you know, with all that, do that networking and that sort of thing, but just, you know, throw it out there and find out if it's going to, you know, the worst they can say is no. Well, absolutely. But I think really the moral of that whole story is, is just be likable around other creators and don't be a you know, a, a douchebag that just shows that, you know, my, your next step is to get a paycheck. Right. You know, I don't know what, I don't know what conversations were had in the committee. And it could have been that, oh, Ben Bishop sent, you know, you referred, referred um, Canto to us and we like Ben Bishop. So we kind of trust what he thinks. And, you know, I, I it, it, it's all a mystery to me, but it just goes to show just be, 
the cool person that other people want to be want to see be successful and i think that gets you 50 percent there and then 40 percent more is a good story with good art and then that 10 percent is just everything out of your control 100 percent. i would agree i would agree that's awesome. It's cool that you guys, uh, you and you and Ben, have that connection like that. It's uh, that's definitely someone that I look for for having on the podcast real soon because this drawing blood thing that he's doing with Kevin Eastman, that's a conversation that just needs to be fucking had. Oh yeah, and <laughs> he's killing it. He, he just uh, he's such an amazing creator and so generous with his time and support and just you know. I can't say enough good things about Ben. He just has, is, you know, become a really close friend to me and, um, you know, just really thankful to, well, to develop the, that relationship sort of out of coincidence. Oh, man. And, yeah, well, it just goes to show, okay, he wasn't just a nice to me. He is just a nice guy. Because when I met him, I met him at Denver Pop Culture Con. I went up and introduced myself. And this is when the podcast was, I don't know, fucking like, 15 episodes old so it was still brand new and fresh and oh i'm hi i'm brian and i have a podcast and i like drawing blood issue one and all this stuff here's a sticker took my sticker put it right on he's got this big drawing platform that he fucking takes with him that he's you know just doodling on while he's waiting for people to come up and not like he's got to wait long for someone to come up and talk to him it's been fucking bishop but I took my sticker boom right on the fucking front and i was like dude that's so when people come up to talk to awesome. Ben motherfucking Bishop, they see the Cheers to Comics sticker. That's so fucking cool. So That's yeah, so no, cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew him immediately. I was like, ah, I can't wait till this podcast is far al- un- uh, far along enough to where I have the to the, the nuts to say, hey, dude, come on the podcast. But I think at this point, you know, I've had Drew Zucker on, or not Drew Zucker, David Boer. Drew Zucker's coming. I'm definitely gonna have. He him better. On. He better do it, and then. Um... Yeah, you need to get, get get Ben on. Tell him I said he needs to come on the podcast. I will. I'll I'll, I'll say David Boer said, and yes, it, it shall happen. But this isn't <laughs> about as awesome as Ben is. This is about you, man. And you know, Drew is gonna get his moment on this podcast too. <laughs> this is awesome. I want to I, I want to you know. This is all about figuring out the where Canto came from, the inspirations, picking the brain of. You know this, yeah. The one of the the, the co-creators. It's nice. It's it's really cool to know that the idea was spawned off of a drawing and not the other way around. You know, it's it's uh, more often than not, it's a writer that comes up with something and they're just sweating their ass off trying to find uh, the the perfect artist for their vision. And it just so happened that you two met and the universe said, "This is this shall be." And they will spend money on this. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it was yeah. It's been one of the um, best experiences, writing experiences that I've had. It's just developing this and working with Drew. He's just we've gotten to be really, really close friends. I spent um, all of New York Comic Con um, basically with him, and um, he's he's out in New York City area. Okay, and uh, you're in LA, correct? Yeah. Gotcha. We're, we're all uh, on social media messaging, that sort of thing. Um, and it's super easy now to be able to do that. But to spend time at his sort of hometown convention has been really special for me. So That's awesome. That, yeah. that, that's, that's, that's so cool. You know, I, I like to, you know, usually I'll ask what, what's next. But it sounds like there's, there's plenty of canto to still be told. 
And uh, I, I really, I feel like this is just, if David Boer and Drew Zucker only created Kanto forever, and you guys went on a run, like, I don't know, say The Goon or something like that, where it's just Eric Powell creating this one thing forever, or, you know, something along those lines, I'd be perfectly happy with it. <laughs> I, I, I really would, because I feel like this is a character that has a never-ending story. Story. Even even if it did end in the sixth issue where he he finds the heart and he gives it to the princess and or his uh, his friend she's not a princess is she no no that's right I was just all right yeah it's the okay I have a different reference in my head from the uh, reading issue five the the metaphor of the princess in the tower and all of that stuff right okay yeah yes. So, um, regardless, if he fulfills his mission here, we know that this little motherfucker has so much goddamn gumph in him. <laughs> he, he's going to find something else to, to, to solve and make good oh, and man. Awesome again. And I can't wait until you read issue six and then this next arc we're planning. It's, I'm, I'm very excited about it. Awesome. Uh, I, I can't wait. And, you know, like I said, usually I'll ask that question. Usually I have the question of if you were offered the job by the big two. But at this point, you know, I, I don't want to see anything else from you. You have perfected this character. <laughs> like, you, you, I mean, well, what if the next thing we do, you know, I do is is even better than Kanto? Well, I would. Uh, it's not possible. It's going to be right. tough. It's going to be tough. Good luck. You set the bar um, way, way me, I feel <laughs> the, the pressure of failure is nothing compared to following up with any sort of success. So it's um, tough. It's a tough, um, it's still tough, but there's some things in the work. You can ask me the question. I have a very specific answer. All right. Well, well, well tell me. I mean, is there, what's next after Canto, if anything? Um, there, I mean, there's some, there's, there's some things in the works that I don't want to, um, necessarily talk about at the moment, but, uh, the, if I could do my dream book with the big mm. two. Oh yes. Please tell, please tell, because this gives a good idea of the, the type of style that you're, or the, the writing that you're really aspiring. For. I mean, outside of, you know, independent creating. Right. Um, so I will cut, I will, um, preface this by saying I've not read House of X or Powers of X, and I really am not up to speed on the current X-Men universe, but I want to do it outside of continuity, uh, standalone um, story arc of uh, Nightcrawler, but give him the quote-unquote Tom King treatment. So Dude. do it like um, Mr. Miracle or Vision. That's yes. What... Oh, my God. What a perfect fucking... I, Marvel, I... Well... Marvel may not be listening to this podcast, but I guarantee they you are on their fucking radar with this book. I guarantee it. So <laughs> well, I, I, I truly hope that, 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 that comes to light because if anybody's listening, I, I I have the artists who I want to use that I won't oh. say any names yet, but um it's somebody who they couldn't say no to. And um I have the story that I want to tell and it's you know, it's gonna it would be really um, emo uh, uh, emotionally um, important story. Well, um, Nightcrawler is that, that character that has this massive following that has no fucking solo stories out there. Yeah. And he's always looked at it as this B-list character, or not even B-list character. I mean, he's he he's a fucking A-lister for sure. But he's 
always look in a world full of mutants. In a world full of mutants, he can't pass. So, mm-hmm. what do you do? Yeah, yeah, you know, it, I, I, man, that's. I have Ooh. some thoughts, Brian. I have some thoughts. So, anyway, that's that's what I would do. That's wow. That was that was an answer that you you, you wouldn't expect. And once again, goes to validate my fact that you are not just your 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 typical creator you're not a run-of-the-mill writer that's just oh i've got this this thing with this thing that needs to be told no you you actually have something to say and it's inter it's interesting and oh man uh, you, you you have a bright fucking future ahead of you in comics man you really do i know you you, you spent uh over 10 years building this this uh network and you you have these two books through Vault. And now you've got Canto, which is uh, in multiple printings, and it's it, the 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 trade is sure to be a big hit when it comes. You said March, March of twenty twenty. Yeah, March. Yes. Oh man, I, I'm 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 glad I got this this uh, this conversation in before you're too Hollywood to come on. Cheers to comics. That's for sure. <laughs> Cause you got a bright fucking future ahead of you, man. Brian, Brian, Brian who? <laughs> right. Yeah. What? Cheers to what? <laughs> Cheers to what? Comics. Yeah. Oh, comics. Uh, comics. I'm a fucking movie man now. <laughs> never, never. No, you, you could really, really tell that you do enjoy writing comics as a medium, not just, using it as a platform to create a storyboard for something bigger to happen. This is truly a project of joy that I, I, I as a reader, can sense. So, right. Yes. Uh, oh, man. I, 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 could, I can go on and <laughs> praise this book for another hour. I really could. But you're, you're a busy guy. You've got, you've got Canto stuff to write. Right, <laughs> <laughs> I have that, and you know, and some other things on my plate. So yes, keeping well, busy. I well, I'm I am actually very excited to know that you do have other stuff in the works for Canto because a lot of times when a writer is putting out this quality of work, you don't have time for other stuff. So it, uh, I'm 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 very very intrigued to see what else is out there, and I'm definitely definitely gonna check out alien bounty hunter and powerless because i've recently discovered how fucking kick-ass vault as a uh as a publisher is they're putting out some amazing shit resonant all of that stuff all of oh these my god resonant oh uh, fuck dude david andrew's book Ooh, that's yeah i'm so i'm i'm so thrilled that i mean yeah I, I know David and I know that story and to see it um, visualized in physical form has just been extraordinary to watch. Uh, well, I, I mean, it's you've got some big publishers backing you, man. Vault, Vault may not necessarily be one of those, air quote, big publishers, but regardless, that doesn't mean that the content they're putting out is not big. It, oh, it's, right. It, it's... Everything oh, they're going to get there. Incredible. Trust me, they're going to oh, get there. They so. are. They're they're on their way to being boom and image and all of those. So they and IDW and yes, yes, yes. Well, David M. Boer, it has been 
an absolute pleasure having you on this podcast. I've enjoyed picking your brain, and I like to think that the the readers have definitely learned something about you, if not just yourself, but the uh, the 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 route of one other potential route one could take is to being a kick-ass comic creator. Oh, well, thank you. thank you for having me on. It's been a um, pleasure to talk to you, and it's just it's <laughs> it's just humbling to hear um, your response to Kanto. So I really appreciate you sticking with us. One hundred percent, and uh, you you will definitely be hearing about issue six when it pops off. You said the. I would imagine it probably about episode 55 or 56 around the time that comes out. But you'll be tagged. You'll be tagged. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely want to make sure you... you um, well, all of the readers know that you know that this this book is a thing. And yeah, oh, man, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling at this point. The beers are working. I'm all excited because I got to talk to a kick-ass creator. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Awesome. I, won't, I won't keep you here anymore. I know you've got stuff to do. It's getting late. You probably want dinner and all of that good stuff. So, David M. Boer, you have been a treat for this podcast. And we will be in touch. I'm going to get a, a hold of a Drew here real soon. I'm going to have a fucking illustrator on this podcast. I want to pick their brain, too. Especially knowing that, you know, this, this thing was spawned from a drawing. So that, that makes it all the more intriguing to me. Yes. So, yes. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Brian. You're very, very welcome. We will be in touch, and you enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you. You're very welcome. All you slurds, thank you for tuning in. Please support me on Patreon, and you know where to follow me. You know how to use the internet. You know where to social media and all of that good stuff. You got questions, answers, or concerns. Uh, yeah. Tag David. I'm sure he'd be happy to help you out. <laughs> I think we've pretty much covered all the questions here, though, on this podcast. So save yourself the time. Just, you know, you've already listened to it. Um, it's been it's been a hell of a show. You slurs, read responsibly. Cheers, fuckers. Hey, this is Ken M. Padawan J. Coach Duffy. From the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour podcast. Every week, the ODPH is talking sports, movies, TV, comics, and more. It's always a parlay of topics on each episode. You can find the ODPH on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and wherever you find great podcasts, such as the one you're listening to right now. Don't forget to check out OchoDuroParlayHour.com, where you can find the links to all of the ODPH social media accounts, links to the bands whose music you hear each week on the show, hashtag 607 podcast info and parlay points our companion block section of the show thanks for listening to the odph now get back to your regularly scheduled podcast